And I want to talk to you about what Jesus wants from you this week, but also what he wants from you all the time. But first of all, peace. Relax a little bit. There was a fad several years ago, and, and I'm going to say it was a good fad. The WWJD fad. Do you remember it? What would Jesus do? It was everywhere. It was on the Bible covers. It was on your bracelets. It was on bumper stickers. It was everywhere. So I don't, it, it could have been a song for all I know. WWJD, what would Jesus do? There's a lot to benefit to asking the question of what would Jesus do? To stop at any junction in the day and say, all right, if I was Jesus, what would I do here? But here's the problem with that. You're not. You're not him. There are a lot of times I'd, I, I would beat myself up. I'd be tired, sitting in my chair, thinking, oh, and then remember something out there that probably now needed to be dealt with, and the guilt would hit. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would go see him, but I'm not him. He wired me to need to be in a chair right now and not go. Now, that's not just as an excuse. We are all different people, and we are in different phases of our life. I know of women, for example, who have felt incredibly guilty because they have a college degree and they have talents galore, but they're at home raising little kids and thinking, you know, I'm, here I'm cleaning up diapers and, and cleaning up after lunch and trying to get peanut butter off the, the floor. You know, what would Jesus do? Well, you know, Jesus would do all those things and be proud to do it. But the fact is, you're not Jesus. So I want to ask another question. How can we make Jesus the alpha and the omega of what we as individuals do? How can we bring Jesus into our wiring, our lives, who we are? My son's not afraid to jump out of a helicopter, fast rope. They don't just jump out. They have fast rope out of helicopters. He's not afraid to take fire. He's not afraid to you know, climb ahead and call in the mortars. He's not afraid of any of that. But if I ask him to read a scripture in church, it's always been, you know, that's not... He loves Jesus. He, he's in church this morning. He loves Jesus. But he doesn't want to give a talk. Why? That makes him nervous. I don't guilt him into it. I don't say, son, in our family, this is what we do. No, no. I don't do that. First of all, he's big and a bit scary. So I don't, I don't push. I don't push at all. But the second is, he's not me. I'm not him. My question then is, how do we bring Jesus to be the first and the last? What would Jesus have me as an individual do? Sometimes... He would have you rest. You know, Psalm, by the way, I'll get to notes eventually. Um, I have to leave, so you know I'm going to get to the notes eventually. You know, the 23rd Psalm, he makes me lie down. Sometimes God knocks you down because you need to be down for a while. Rest, I've got this, God's saying. You know, I was doing all right before you are born. I'll do okay if you sit and watch the game. I'll do okay if you sit, take a Sabbath off, 
and do something else. What would Jesus have me do? Let's look at Revelation, the first and last, chapter 1 and chapter 22. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And he bookmarks Revelation with this. Remember, Revelation's all about this is who God is. Worship God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is indispensable. Everybody else is replaceable. Everybody is, but not him. Now, when I say you're replaceable, that's not an insult. That should give you peace. You don't have to do it all today. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do most of it today. God's got this. He's the alpha and the mate. Now, when we say alpha, especially in our society, there are some words about being the alpha male, and sometimes that means somebody who's strutting and muscular and powerful and uh, perhaps sexually dominant and the like. Get that out of your head. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the bookend of all of life. Life is about Jesus. He started it. He's the one who can give it. And as he said, he's the one who can take it away. Do not fear those that can kill the body. Fear the one that can kill the body and the soul, he said, speaking of himself. Jesus is the common thread in all of history, beginning and end of all things. Begin to look for patterns, would you please? Patterns of Jesus woven through your life. I want to talk for a second to the despairing among us. Uh, and we have despairing among us. Here's the thing. All of us have been the despairing at some time. We take turns. Good news, we don't all despair at the same time, so there's always somebody there to pick you up if you'll let them. But the despairing among you that don't see Jesus right now, don't feel guilty. I get that. What I will tell you is that he sees you. He's got you. If you've lost sight of him, don't worry. He has not lost sight of you. Keep looking for the patterns. One of the things that people will do, they'll say, oh, I journaled today, and I did my prayer journal, and you can even buy expensive books with no words in them. Remember the first time I saw these? Leather-bound, bookmarked, and the like. And I was going, oh, that looks very important, whatever that book is. And I pulled it off, and I'm going, what is this, Great Thoughts of Patrick Mead? I mean, there's nothing in here. That concerned me. And then people said, oh, that's how, you know, that's your, your religious journal. I had to ask, what's that? Well, that's where you write down your thoughts to God. I said, well, I, I just tell him, and it's cheaper. I, 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 didn't, I didn't get the grasp. And other people said, oh, it's your prayer journal. I didn't get that either. I'm, I've always been a bit slow on the spiritual curve because there have been people out there that have been so many miles ahead of me on the spiritual curve I didn't get what they were doing. I was behind. I still don't prayer journal. But I did something for a couple of years once because I needed to. I created what I called my evidence book. When I saw Jesus, when I saw God at work, I wrote it down. Why? Because there were days, months, 
series of months where I didn't see him. So I would go back and read where I'd seen him before to remember, oh yeah, he's there. I've just lost sight right now. I'll, I'll get that sight again. Look for the patterns. And once you do, then seeing the past, the present, the future, all of it begins to make a bit more sense. Think of how God is woven into our lives. We ask for prayers for the pregnant or prayers to get pregnant. We give thanks when our children are born. I'll, I'll never forget the birth of my, our, 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 well, it's ours. It's handy how that works out. Our first child. Uh, we're, we were in Scotland, and uh, the wee Scottish nurses were saying, oh, Patrick, you have to be in there. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. And they lied through their teeth. It was um, <laughs> horrible. Um, <coughs> there was sweating and cursing and screaming, and, and, and Cammie was doing some of that too. But it was... <laughs> then after all that, they hand you this, this wrinkled purple thing. And they say, Lou, it looks like you. And I'm going, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, Where, how do you blow it up? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's not entirely inflated. It, it's a good thing I'm a shrink because my kids need one. And, and I'm, I'm there for them. Uh, so, and, and, and my rates are reasonable. They, um, I remember when I was handed my daughter... I cried. And people were saying, one of the nurses said, oh, he thought he's having a son, I bet that. Too. No. As soon as I held her, I realized I didn't get to keep her. Eventually, one of these days, some no good preacher from Otter Creek <laughs> but we pray, don't we? We thank God. When I son, my son was born, I went into the wee chapel of the, the hospital there, and I tried to pray, and I couldn't pray. All I could say was, thank you. And I said, I don't know how many times I said that, but that was the, that's all I had. I couldn't do anymore. We pray, and then we bring the kids to Bible class. We bring them to youth activities. We go watch them play ball or the like. My, my grandsons are very talented athletically, and that did not come from my side of the family. So I just stand there and watch them. And I'm, you know, whenever everybody else says, oh, that was good, I'll say, well, then that was good then. You know, I don't know what's happening. But then we walk them down the aisle. Then we send them off to school. But all of this happens. Jesus is there again at the marriage. Who do we talk about at the marriage? We bring God into it, don't we? All the way to various sicknesses come. We ask people like Albert to come and pray for us. And then, in fact, when we're very sick, we demand that a representative of Jesus shows up. We want the clergy. We want the shepherds. We want somebody there. And then when death comes, Jesus is there. But Jesus is not some favorite uh, uncle that just shows up at certain times in your life. He's always there if we'll look for him. We'll see him. Now, in the evidence book, this went. Some of you are going to think this is quite silly. Fine. I was having a particularly difficult series of weeks. And I had lost sight of God. 
And I was angry at God. And I told him, because when you're angry at God, you may as well tell him, because he knows stuff. So you may as well open up the conversation. But I hadn't gotten much back, and I was just angry with God. And it was one of those days where I could have thrown the world's biggest pity party. Driving along, my air conditioner wasn't working. I was in America. That's not a good thing. So I rolled down my window. Yes, rolled down. Yes, I'm that old. I manually put the window down. And construction on the only road to get to work. I was, everything was, everything, the world was against me. This is all personal, all personal. It's all about me. See, that was the mistake I was making. I noticed some movement off to the side. And there were a few sparrows. And I didn't want to look for some reason, but I looked, and the sparrows were dancing. Now, I know sparrows hop. There's one hopping. They were all looking at me, for one. And it was almost like chorus line. <laughs> and I looked away thinking, no, no, I'm not going to notice this. This is, this is medication time. I'm not looking. I looked, and they, they stopped. I looked back, they started dancing again. After a while, I looked up, and I said, all right, good one, God. You have a sense of humor. I'll give you that. But the dancing birds went into the evidence book. Another time, hard time in my life. There have been a lot of hard times in my life. Most of them self-inflicted, by the way. Most of them self-inflicted. I was... Um, depressed and not sure what happens next with my life, traveling through Colorado, moved, I went, went into a campground where nobody goes because there's nothing there. Buffalo Creek, Colorado. Just me and a 12-string guitar in a two-man tent where there were three of us trying to stay in it. Uh, and by the way, two men was optimistic. We found that out uh, after, after we bought the tent. Uh, I'm sitting there not sure what I'm, what I'm doing with my life, and somebody else who didn't want to go camping was forced by her family to go camping, and that's where I met Cammie. God's at work. But you have to look. He's not going to force himself on you. In dark times, he's there. Surgeries, pain, hurt, he's there. He went first, and he went through it all. Well, let me explain what I mean by that. I, th today is Wear Pink Sunday, uh, and so a lot of us are doing that, and it's for awareness for breast cancer. And by the way, some of our ladies who have had breast cancer decided not to come today because looking at all the pink reminds them of their pain. I get that too. God gets that too. That's fine. Uh, I, I don't normally wear pink unless there's a laundry accident, and then I have worn pink. But I, I, I wear it today. And talking to somebody like this, I remember talking to one lady, and she said, you'll never understand what I've gone through. And I said, I want you to stop with that for a minute. I want you to think about this. What I want you to do is list all of the emotions, everything you felt, as you, and this wasn't cancer, this was another event, everything you went through. And it was isolation, pain, being trapped, no one understands me, confusion. We went, and I, after she listed all of those, I said, I've gone through all of that. But I went through that stuff not going, not having a, an event like you did. My events were elsewhere, but we have all gone through these things. Are you aware of that? When people look at you and say, you, you, know, you didn't go to Vietnam, so you'll never understand. 
Well, I won't understand Vietnam, but I do understand terror, isolation, confusion, sense of abandonment. I got all that. We are all in there together. And so, yeah, Jesus was never pregnant. But Jesus knows what it feels like to be pregnant. Jesus knows what it feels like to lose. Aren't you aware of that? Most of the people Jesus loves don't love him back. He knows what that's like. He has gone through what we go through. He is the designer who understands our system better than we understand our system. Experiences are unique. Feelings are not. They are universal. After a while, we, are, we realize what Colossians chapter 1 means. Let's go there. Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God. That is such great news. God loves us because Jesus loves us. That's the sign. The firstborn over all creation. That means he's in charge over everything. For in him all things were created. Alpha. Things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. Those are spiritual beings. All things have been created through him. For him. That's why we ask, how can we bring Jesus into this situation? He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let's stop right there. We're going to keep reading in a bit. Say a prayer for physicists. They're having a hard time. And I love physics. Please do not take this as ribbing the physicist. No, I get where they got to and now why they're in the trouble that they are. And I, I'm, I'm as confused as they are about a couple things. For the longest time, we thought about 95% of all matter in the universe is dark matter and we couldn't find it. And that's kind of hard when you've misplaced 95% of the universe. Just in the last few months, we've been looking at each other going, maybe we got this all wrong. They did this about two years ago with string theory. String theory, we thought, was eventually going to explain... I'm not going to explain string theory. We thought that theory would explain everything, and we ran into so many closed-down alleys and contradictions that most people working in string theory quit. We're, we're confused. What is holding the universe together? What holds the atoms in your body together? The Bible says he holds all things together. What we didn't look for was the thing that holds us together, Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. That's what I want to talk about the rest of the lesson. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Let's talk about this. We're coming up on Christmas. I know because I've been to a store. <laughs> and soon we will see billboards or signs or receive cards in the mail that'll say, Jesus is the reason for the season. Fair enough. But Jesus is also the reason for every other season. Jesus is reason for everything. He is the, he is the designer of the seasons of life. This gives Jesus the right to speak to each of us about what we should do 
and what we should not do. We, as an individual created in the image of God, but unlike every other individual in the room. So my calling won't be your calling. Can I talk to you about that for a minute, church? This has not yet become a problem that I've seen at this church, but it often becomes a problem at a church. Let's say that my entire passion was missionary work to Scotland. And that's all I could think about. And I'm trying to get you riled up, and I want the church to give to Scotland, and I want, I want us to raise our children to be ministers and missionaries to Scotland. And you, you want to work at Gentry Farms for missions for Guatemala and, and Honduras and like. And, or you want to work with one generation to work. You're, you're concerned about hunger in our community. Or another one of you is thinking, we need new literature for our Bible classes. And we've all got these different dreams. The problem is when one person says, my dream trumps yours. Mine's more important than yours. Don't let that happen. Instead say, how can Jesus win? How can Jesus win in this entire body made of different people with different dreams and different drives? He's got to win. So if I have a political discussion with somebody, unlikely, but it could happen. I've got to find a way not for Trump to win, not for Clinton to win, not for Johnson to win or Stein to win, but for Jesus to win this conversation. I've got to find a way that if somebody's saying, I want to sing that song, I don't like that song, that Jesus wins the conversation. Not this person or that person. Jesus has got to win in this situation. If I've got a limited amount of money, Jesus has to win in the way I distribute that money. He's the Alpha and the Omega. We as individuals must bring Jesus into our situation so that he wins. Because Jesus has the right to come in and draw boundaries around us. He's the first, he's the last. Don't go anywhere else. A, a reality about life. For there to be an us, there also has to be a not us. I believe I've told this story before. My daughter swam at West Virginia University for a couple of years. If you've never been to a swim meet, thank God. Thank God that you've not. <laughs> On average, they last 15 years. <laughs> and nothing happens. Nothing happens. And so you know, I remember one time sitting there just kind of like this, you know, kind of getting high on the chlorine uh, and... <laughs> person beside me was like this as well, and I turned to them, and I said, who did you used to be? Because, you know, we used to be interesting people. <laughs> so there we are. The only, and I found out one fun thing, one fun thing. My, my daughter and all her kids, you know, her teammates started doing this cheer thingy. You know, we're from West Virginia, and we're the best, and you lot are all rubbish. It wasn't exactly that, but that was the, that was the essence of the cheer. And so the kids from Maryland would do, oh, we're from Maryland, we're the best, you lot are all rubbish. And then the kids over here from Connecticut would do theirs, and the one kid from Rhode Island would do his best, you know. And, it... <laughs> and that was interesting. That was fun, actually. I started looking forward to that. Well, the next swim meet, because swim meets are kind of like figure skating competitions. There's a world championship every 15 minutes. So we, there was another big swim meet that we had to go to. And I'm thinking, oh, here it goes forever. And, and 
Yes, you know, my daughter's team launched into their cheer. We're from West Virginia, and we're the best, and you lot are all rubbish. And there was dead silence in reply. They'd made a tactical error. It was an intrastate match. Everybody was from West Virginia. <laughs> to be us, there has to be a not us. Now, that's very politically incorrect, isn't it? To say that everybody has value and everybody is equal in the eyes of God is true. To say everybody has a right to their own opinion is true. But to say everybody's actions and opinions are acceptable is not true. Because if they fall outside of the parameters of the Alpha and the Omega, they are wrong. He has got to be our border, our boundary. If we don't have that, we have become like the world and we have, we have eliminated one of the things that Jesus is. When he said he is the way, the truth, and the life, we pulled out the truth and act like it doesn't exist. The truth does exist. You know, and, and, and it doesn't matter if several years ago, you know, the big hit, I believe I can fly. You can't. You believe wrong. You believe something which is wrong. For there to be truth, there must be error. We must bring Jesus into our unique, everyday situations. He has got to win in that situation. Whether it's a discussion with the wife or the husband, whatever it is, Jesus gets a right, has the right to define who we are at that moment and mark out our pathway at that moment. When we're tempted to leave it, leave the path, we need to remember, you leave the path, you leave Jesus. For he, not only, he doesn't say, I have a way, he says, I am the way. Don't walk away from that. I want to get to Jennings, Louisiana, about midnight tonight, to do that, I have to take certain interstates. I can't take the ones I want. According, I ran Google Maps on it, and it, it basically said, good luck. There are approximately 18,000 construction zones between you, and, you know, enjoy. Well, a, a little search shows other interstates don't have as many construction zones, but they're not going where I need to go. And there are times we can say, I don't want to go where Jesus wants me to go because it's too hard. There's a myth. There's a myth that says all, all roads lead to Jesus. No, they don't. Only the Jesus road leads to Jesus. Only the pathway to Jesus leads to Jesus. That's just, have you ever thought about that statement, all roads lead to Jesus, is not true about anything else? All diets lead to fitness. Really? All political ideas lead to peace. Really? All roads lead to the bank you need to get to this afternoon. No, they don't. In spirituality, it's also true. You have to take the Jesus road. Everything we do, we have to stop and say, not what, Je what would Jesus do? Well, that's not a bad question. The question is, what should Patrick do to honor Jesus in this moment? How can Jesus win in this moment. He is the defining mark. 
his appearance throughout all of the Old Testament indicated he was always first and last. He's the creator, the sustainer, he's the meaning, he's the message, he's the angel of the Lord. Do you remember those two sermons? Don't make me do them again, because I can. I kept the notes. He is the pillar of cloud. He is the pillar of fire. He is the visitor in the desert. He's the God who sees you. A lot of the world doesn't know who they are and where they're going. The reason is they don't have a fixed point. If you don't have a fixed point, you don't know where you are. Some places in the United States, if you were to say, how far is it from here to there, they will tell you in miles. Other places will tell you in minutes. You notice that? Both of them are measuring sticks. But what if you say, how far is it to get from here to, to there? But, and they say, well, where are you going to start from? And you don't have a starting point. You don't have an answer. Jesus is our starting point and our end point. We have to start with what does Jesus want? Let's make Jesus win. We've got to end with, did Jesus win this exchange? Did he win this decision? He is our boundary line. He is our sacred story whose truth is lived out by the way we decide to live our lives. It is our whole duty to conform ourselves to the will of God. Not to be self-realized. You can stand out on the beach all you want to and scream, I gotta be me. You know, in one sense, yes, you have to be you because you're not allowed to be anybody else. Everybody else is taken. You're you. But if you're saying, I've got to be me, is I've got to make up my own mind and do my own thing, what you're saying is, I've got to be my own God, and that's not very impressive. Because you're just a little speck standing on sand, screaming out to the maker of the universe that you're in competition with him. I'm going to tell you something. That's not a good position to be in. Instead to say, what, is, what does God want with me right now, today, right here? Let's look at Colossians 1, 24 and 25. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. By the way, I'll confess, I have trouble with that. I have trouble confessing, rather rejoicing in suffering. But I've learned a bit through suffering. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. In other words, still trying to figure out how to make Jesus win in all of this. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission of God, the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. In other words, the suffering doesn't matter. I've got to fulfill the commission of God. And if fulfilling the commission of God means I suffer, then I suffer. Wow. Several of you have looked at me and said, I don't know how you do this, the speaking and the driving today. My response is, I don't have a choice. I really don't. If I had a choice, I'd be in a laboratory with books, test tubes, and you wouldn't be able to find me. Some guitars, too. That's it. I don't have a choice. Because this life is not about me. It's about him. He gets to decide the path. Take a look at chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. My goal 
is that they, the people he has reached, may be encouraged in heart, united in love. By the way, isn't it great to be a church that's united in love? Wow. So that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm going to, we're going to wrap this up here. The word mystery. Paul uses a particular word for mystery, which comes from a military term. It was a battle plan. And it was a particular kind of battle plan. A battle plan that you did not reveal to your common soldiers until the day of battle. That way, news didn't get out. And so he comes to us and he says, now we have been revealed to us the battle plan. So if you're wondering, young people do this a lot as well, you might be surprised. No matter how old you get, you still ask these questions. Who am I? What should I be doing? What is God's plan for me? What is the battle plan? He says, so that the battle plan of God could be revealed. And it is Christ. So frankly, whether I live or die does not matter that much. It doesn't matter that much what I buy or where I go or what matters is, am I doing it for Jesus and I'm bringing Jesus into the equation? Am I staying in Jesus' path? For he is the battle plan of my life. He's the battle plan of your life. He's the beginning and ending of all things. Mark's going to lead us in a song here in a moment to transition us from worship to class. Do you remember John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. Do you remember that? All things were created through him. Jesus was at the beginning because that's where he's supposed to be, at the beginning. Every decision, every action. And he has moved history along since, showing up and everything from births to funerals to dancing birds beside the road. The angel of the Lord walking with us at every juncture, calling us into a sacred path. Not a safe path, but a sacred path. Don't get distracted by the noise of the world, by the shouting of the world, by the angry of the world. Don't get distracted. Keep in your head, the one who must win here is Jesus. He is the first. He is the last. He is the point of the story. I told myself that again this week. I caught myself thinking something. And I said out loud to myself, Patrick, you are a part of the story, but you are not the point of the story. Jesus is. When I remember that, the kingdom of God advances and God smiles. And don't you want to make God smile?